Titus chapter 1. Once again, turning our attention to verses 1 through 4. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested His Word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. I was in the fifth grade when I first noticed the problem. Objects at a certain distance were fuzzier than they were before. And in fact, I had teachers who started to notice that depending on where I was sitting in the classroom, I was squinting more and more. My mom started to hear more and more often my complaints about headaches. And in fact, one distinct memory that I have of that time was driving home with my mom, and and she pointed down the road to a billboard and said, she probably called me Scotty, don't you do it. (laughs) Read the billboard, and I couldn't. Well, it wasn't too long after that that where do you think I found myself? Eye doctor, right? And sure enough, as you would imagine, what, what became clear was that I could not see that well. I was nearsighted and so would need correction to my vision. I was initially devastated, right? Fifth grade, I'm thinking about having to wear glasses. My eyes would water for absolutely no reason whatsoever. This was only going to make it worse. I was going to be made fun of. I was certain of it, all right? But then I remember going back, getting the glasses, and walking out of the building for the first time. Everything was different. It was stunning. Obviously, at that age, my eyesight wasn't all that bad, but it was enough where I noticed in that moment a a certain brightness to the colors in the world. But the most striking thing, and I can see the image in my mind, even now talking about it, being able to identify individual leaves on the tree. Shocking that this is what the world now actually looked like. Of course, since then, my vision's gotten only worse and worse, and if for any reason you ever hear me say, well, I don't have contacts or glasses in, and I'm still getting in a car, you're going to want to steer clear, all right? Because if I see you in a car, I'm going to see three of you, and I don't know which one not to hit, all right? So, so I, I cannot drive without some kind of corrective vision. It, 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 is, a, it is an interesting illustration about, about the ways in which maybe we can get used to not having clarity, and then what it is provided, all of a sudden, just things open up. The, the good news about God's Word is that as God's people who have been given faith by God, who have been transformed by God's Spirit, 
who have then been given God's Word, through all of this that God has done for us, God has made an amazing provision. He has extended to us an incredible grace. He's given us clarity. As a result of these things, as we turn to God's Word, as we respond to that Word at at the leading and illumination of the Holy Spirit, as we allow our worldview now to be shaped by who we are and, and, and what Christ has done for us and what His Word says to us, when all of these things then begin to govern and drive how we view the world, it is amazing then how it creates clarity. It helps us to understand. It helps us to understand the world we're living in, Helps us to understand why we are the way we are, why the people next to you are the way they are, all right? It helps us understand what our role is in this world. I mean, it helps us understand why has God made me? What is, what is the function? What is, my, what is my purpose? What does God expect of me? And to even get more specific, this gets helpful even as we think about our individual roles and responsibilities. If we, as we have now you know, seen firsthand the, the tremendous stewardship that has been given to parents. What do they do with the kids that have been given to them? When you think about us as a, as a church, what, what are we supposed to do as, a, as, as God's people entrusted with the gospel? And then as believers in our various roles and responsibilities, what does it look like then to, to live out God's Word and God's commands? Now, see, this, this is what the Bible does for us. It, it, it's a corrective lens, right? Sharpens the lines, and gives us understanding. And I, and I, I really believe a passage, this, though this is not the only one, there could be many, many that would do this. For sure, Titus 1, verses 1 through 4, provides us with this kind of clarity. We turned to this passage last week as we you know, jumped in, then after introducing Titus two weeks ago as our new series. Uh, and then, then last week, looking at Paul's opening four verses. It, it is a standard... Uh, kind of greeting that you find in Paul's letters, pretty straightforward pattern. It it shows up with the exception of Titus, not really the exception. There are some of the letters where, where Paul does more than just greet. He does more than just say he's writing it. He does more than just address the person to whom he's writing. It's as if he seeds into his introductory words key theological ideas that he's then going to expound upon throughout the rest of the letter. And he does that in Titus. The only other book where he does this more is the book of Romans. This is the second longest greeting in all of Paul's letters. And, and in giving us this greeting, I think he does something else. Paul clearly establishes for Titus and anybody in the churches that Titus is ministering to, clearly establishes who Paul is his, his call, his role, his responsibility to God and to the church. What I think these verses then do for us, it gives us a very real illustration of what it looks like to follow God's call. What has God created us to do? What is His design for a healthy church, for a healthy people of God? Well, if you'd like to take notes, it's going it's to be there. So Titus 1, 1 through 4. Paul offered his customary greeting, which affirmed his position and purpose in God's kingdom. And so we can be a healthy church, healthy followers of Christ, 
when we understand what God's designed for us. So what is that design? Well, we need to understand our role, I would say, in broad categories. To understand our role in relation to God and what God has said. So what is that? Well, I think we begin to understand our role when we understand, number one, God's authority. God's authority. And this was from last week. Anybody remember how many words I got through last week? Two. All right. No, technically I got to two. All right. I know. So some of you weren't listening. All right. No, I mean, I got to two. All right. So I got through the word Paul and bondservant. Okay. You're still worried. How? Okay. You did it, man. Go on to the next words. But just as a quick reminder, this was a profound way to start the letter. Something that maybe we don't appreciate. We get used to seeing Paul's name, and we may forget, not really, but kind of forget, that's not his given name. Half of his life, Paul lived with a regal kingly name, Saul, till he got saved. And his name went from being regal and kingly to being little. That's what Paul means, little. And not only does it that he view himself then as, as little, Right, this, this was the title then that God had given to him. Then he describes himself as a bondservant, meaning a slave for life, forever bound to Jesus Christ. So literally, we could begin the letter by saying, a little lifetime servant of Jesus. That's how he understood himself. And he understood himself then in relation to God's authority. This is why this, this language, these titles are important. Because he understood he wasn't in charge. He, he wasn't the owner. He's not the one who is over this. He is under the authority of another, and it's God himself. You and I do ourselves the biggest favor in the world when we clearly establish who is in charge, and we make that even better when we come out and just confess it's not us. When we own up to the fact we're not very good at this thing, I need another master, and I need to submit myself then to God and His authority. All right, number two. So now you get to fill in another blank. All right, man, how far is he going to get? About as far as you think. All right. Number two. I think the second important thing we need to understand, we understand our role in relation to God's mission. Our role in relation to God's mission. So, so no, notice then what Paul is going to do. Paul is now going to describe himself to Titus with some important phrases. Phrases that really identify the fact that Paul understood not only that he was a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ under God's authority, but that everything about his life. You want to talk about clarity? Paul now has clarity. Everything about his life is in service to God's divine mission. And just to make this mission clear, it's pretty straightforward. Do you want to know what's God doing in this world? He's at work redeeming people unto Himself in Jesus Christ by the power of the gospel and using His people as earthly instruments to accomplish His ends. It's pretty straightforward. That's what He's doing. Everything falls under this. God is at work reversing the curse. God is at work making new creations. And so if we don't understand ourselves in light of that grand work of God, then we're going to miss how we operate in the divine scheme of things. I'm to understand my life then through this lens of God's gospel, greater gospel purposes. By the way, this applies, you might think, well, that just sounds like a pastor thing. No, it's not just a pastor thing. 
It's an everybody thing. You mean to tell me that the work of the gospel to bring you from dead to alive, to take you from one who is a child of wrath to a child of God, to go from being somebody who's walking in darkness to walking in light, you think that doesn't affect every single aspect of your life forever? Of course it does. Paul understands this. Notice how he describes it. First, we get on to another word. All right, Paul, a bondservant of God. So really, I got into one, two, three, four, five words last week. All right. Then he adds this, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, I, I don't think we need to make much of the fact that he is saying, I am a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, as if he's making some kind of hard and fast distinction. Paul loves to do this in the way that he writes. He, he, bring, he brings in this, this triune feature here, all right? Because elsewhere, he does call himself a bondservant of Christ. So he's not necessarily making some deep theological division here, but he is describing two responsibilities, and specifically, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he's bringing in the very specific focus of the gospel, right? So an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word apostle, in in its most basic sense, just means sent one or emissary. It, It was used outside of the context of the New Testament. It was used in the Greek world to describe something like an ambassador, and and in particular, somebody serving his king in another country, doing the bidding of the king in another country, with typically some kind of authority attached with it, meaning not like the authority of the king, but he came, that the emissary is a representative of the king. And in some ways, we understand this, we, there are ambassadors for the United States, and you know, if you read their, the specific language about their job, that they come to whatever country on behalf of the President of the United States, all right? So that's, that's kind of stated in their job description. Similar kind of here, though, when Paul uses the word apostle, it's far more than just saying he is a sent one from Jesus Christ. Paul is also identifying himself in regard to a very specific office that a group of men occupied in the first century. Now, you're going to have to listen real careful, all right? So I want to make sure I am... I just told you to listen careful. Now I'm going to say, I need to be clear. All right, let's reverse that. I need to be clear, and hopefully it'll make sense. It's my responsibility, not yours. All right. When, when I say apostle in the context of the New Testament, I am talking about, and I believe this is how it's to be understood, a group of men that existed in the first century, and that office has now come to an end. In fact, that office of apostle ended when John died. In other words, there are no new apostles. No, no, no one else. That, that office did not continue then on into the um, early part you know, of church history or into the you know, uh, Middle Ages or after the Reformation or into you know, contemporary modern times. That, that the office of apostle was a specific office for a specific time. You see, these men that God called to the office of apostle had a specific purpose. 
they were to provide divine revelation. Given to them by the Spirit, they're not making it up. The Spirit is giving it to them, but they, they are to lead and teach in a way that, that is declaring rightly the Word of God in a time when we didn't have all of the Bible written yet. So their function was critical. As, as the church grew, as the, as the, as the church moved then in, beyond Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and started to go to the ends of the earth, the church needed to ensure consistency in message from place to place to place to place. So the apostles then provided this kind of authority to, to be able to provide what is the right interpretation of the mystery now of Christ fulfilled. So, so they had a specific kind of authority. So when Paul identifies himself as an apostle, that's how he's identifying himself, which means the stuff he tells Titus to do, Titus has to do it. He, he comes with that kind of specific God-given authority to ensure then the growth, unity, purity of the church until we get the fullness of the Word. So that office is no longer necessary because all of their divinely revealed truth that God felt like the church needed to know is found in the New Testament. Now, in, in other words, we, we have now all that we need, sufficient revelation, so that I don't need the office of apostle to continue on. Really what you could say is, if you want to kind of, you know, massage and play around with that language, that, that the office, they still function as apostles for the church. They're just done with their work. They're still the apostles. There just aren't any new ones anymore. All right? So, so this is how Paul understood himself, as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's, let's not confuse the order he put this in, because it's really critical to go back then to point one. Paul is not doing this because he presumes himself to be some kind of celebrity pastor, all right? He's not saying that he's gone up onto the mountain and God has given him this grand vision and come down to all you lower level Christians, because the celebrity pastor is a super spiritual guy, right? And he's the one who can tell you all what to do, and then you all go do it. It's not what's happening here. Paul? Little. Small. A forever servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, called as an apostle. But that's only because God called him. God has placed him in this position, and he recognizes he's, he's not the one who made God do it. He's just a steward. And he wants to function accordingly. Now, let, we'll move on from this because we want to be clear here. This is how Paul really understood his mission as an apostle of Jesus Christ, an emissary, a sent one. I do think, though, we can take the imagery here of that word and recognize a sense in which all of us are responsible to be sent ones, right? Amen. Again, we don't bear apostolic authority and, by the way, do not confuse this position with mine. As a pastor, I do not bear apostolic authority. It does not mean that 
pastor elder does not have certain biblically appropriate ways to understand leadership and authority. I'm not an, an apostle, which is good. It's good for you. Do you know what this carpet would look like if I were actually an apostle and you all had to do what I said? Can you say checkerboard orange? All right, because that's what it would be, all right? And I would make you all do it. Okay. No, no, we want to be grateful that that's not, all right, for a lot of reasons. But at the same time, we do recognize our responsibility. God has also sent us. And and understand, church, let me make sure that we are very clear here in understanding all, all of our sense of mission. This is not just something that God's done for a pastor. This is not just something God has done for a missionary. God, by calling you out of the darkness and into light, sent you then back into the darkness to declare the light to those who are dead and their trespasses and sins. If you claim Christ, you've been sent. You've been called. This is part of how we understand our mission. Now, I understand. That's different. It's going to look different if, say, say how I fulfill that obligation or, or how missionaries fulfill that obligation. I understand there's specific ways they may go, whether North American missionaries or international missionaries, church planters. And that looks different if you are an engineer or a school teacher or in high school or in college. If you are working in whatever profession or industry, if you are raising your family, I mean, I understand all these then are going to have, you know, different kinds of, of, of manifestations, but I, I would contend it is critical that we understand ourselves as this. If, if we're going to be effective, if we want clarity, wherever you go, go with the gospel. Go with the hope of Christ crucified and resurrected on your lips and shining out of your lives. This, this is part of our mission. It is our responsibility then as God's people then to understand what He is doing in this world. And we see it when He does stuff like this. Now, we're, we're just going to hit another phrase and then we'll bring it to a close and we'll chop it off, all right? Uh, tie this off and then we'll pick it back up next week, okay? But then n- notice though specifically how Paul is going to unpack this because he's going to understand his role in relation not just to God's mission to redeem people, but God's mission to build His church. And so we're going to wet our whistles just a little bit on this and flesh it out next week because I think this is absolutely essential to understand that, that God is accomplishing His work through His church. And I don't mean just like a specific church, and I'm not talking about like, you know, buildings and programs and that kind of thing, though those can come into play as practical ways in which this is expressed. Paul understood his apostleship in relation to God's greater work in the church, meaning building the people of God. So notice the next phrase. He is an apostle, and the New King James puts it this way, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before time began. So you notice there's, there's like three phrases. And this is another thing Paul loves to do. Paul loves himself a preposition. And if you're reading and studying Paul's letters, you need to pay attention to the 
prepositions and the ways he, he connects things because it's going to be really tight. Uh, and, and it is here. So that phrase, that first one, according to the faith of God's elect, that word according to that the New King James uses can also be translated as for the sake of. Uh, really, when the New King James does it, it's meaning in, a, in accordance with, coming alongside of. But I prefer the translation of for the sake of. So again, Paul understands his purpose, his role in the church. Not in relation to himself, to his own dreams and visions 